0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Lives would be totally different um, and probably not as blessed as it has been. So we want to thank you for all that you have done to lean in to say yes to Jesus, because that's why I think we're all here. We're all here to say yes to him, learn more about him, and, uh, and share his good news with the world that we live in. So thank you. Really, really do appreciate that. This is what radical love, I think, is all about, and the rest of this morning, if you uh, think of something that uh, has to do with radical love, something comes to your mind, then you go ahead and take time and write it on the board there. It's just good to write things down, isn't it? Uh, sometimes I, I go about my business, I think about good things, I don't always get the good things done. Uh, and for me to write it down or talk about it or actually put feet to it makes all the difference in the world. So uh, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Everybody, you're, you're doing well this morning, but I could tell there might be a little, is it tryptophan, a little uh, turkey hangover. Because um, like half of you sat down, right, as soon as you could. You know, it's like, and there's no football game going on up here right now. But... Uh, But we want to talk about a few things this morning. I think you remember last week, we've already mentioned it. We talked about radical love. And that radical love is really what distinguishes us as believers or followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says that's the most important thing. uh, That if you're going to do anything, show radical love. Uh, Be a radical lover. And the way that that happens in our life is we receive the unconditional love of someone who radically loves us. And, uh, And that's Jesus Christ. There's another thing that we want to talk about today as we have for these uh, two weekends. The radical love distinguishes us, but there's something else that makes a difference and really matters, and that is that we grow on purpose. Uh, that once we've experienced this radical love what do we do with it where do we go from there and i thought this morning might be a good idea just to sit down and talk to you about what it is to grow on purpose because it really it really absolutely makes a difference Uh, it really does i know for me this thanksgiving season i've i've had these moments where um, i get emotional maybe you experience the same thing maybe not but I have this sense of overwhelming gratitude, and for me, the gratitude isn't about things so much, uh, rather it's about people, uh, people in my life who I am deeply thankful for and there's just these moments in the days of thanksgiving that I, I stop and sometimes it's an hour, hour and a half and and i and I thank the Lord uh, for the people that have been so dear to my heart. It usually starts with my own family, Annette, my kids my grandkids, my parents, Uh, I found myself this weekend even thanking the Lord for my my grandparents who have since passed and what they did for me and the way that they lived their life so that I could follow, be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing blessing when you just stop and think about that. I think about the friends that I have, friends that I have here uh, in this church that have... um, on so many occasions, they've thrown me a, a life raft. You know they've thrown me a a, a line to say, "Hey, come, get close. Uh, let's talk, let's pray, because there are things that that we deal with, in, you know, pastoring and leading, where there's brokenness, uh, where there's heartache, there's hurt. Um, and to have friends like that, it's amazing. to be part of this church is uh, incredible, as we said, as I said earlier. I think about the leaders in my life uh, that I call gatekeepers, leaders who um, trusted me and opened the door uh, to leadership before I think uh, that I deserve those doors to be open or thought I was ready for those doors to be open. They just did that. They just kicked open the doors and they said, go ahead, Um, it's all yours. Here's the keys to the car, go drive. Uh, That's amazing to have people in your life like that In fact, I was thinking of this one individual who has meant a whole lot to me. I sent him a text. He lives in Colorado Springs, Colorado. His name is Paul Stanley, and and, uh, Paul Paul and Phyllis have been amazing mentors to Annette and I early on in our ministry here. Uh, They've touched so many other lives. Uh, They've been an integral part of Navigators, Um, Paul. Um, and Phyllis are in the retirement mode, but I don't think that's possible for those two, but that's what they say. They're still meeting and loving people and mentoring young people. And so I I wrote this to him. I just said, Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. I just want you and Phyllis to know uh, that you two have always been on the top of our list when we talk about those that we admire when we talk about those that we're so grateful for who have mentored us. We're deeply grateful for your investment in our lives. We can never fully express our heartfelt love for you both. You have showed many the way through your kindness, through your humility, and care for younger leaders. You are amazing. P.S. Your model for mentoring has led Annette and I to do the same. Uh, we're spending three days. I'm spending three days starting tomorrow with eight young pastors in Hood River. And uh, you see how that works, how that's passed on. And, and so what I, I say all that to encourage you, that if you have had someone invest in your life, someone that has given away part of themselves, um, don't hold on to that. I mean, you cherish it. You hold on to the memories. I get all that. But make sure you pass that on. You know, make sure that uh, you send a note or a text or an email or a card, a postcard, letting those people know how much you appreciate them. And, and I say that because I think that's one of those areas or disciplines for me in my life that actually makes a difference in the world, you know, that I live in, um, that there is kindness still abounding. <laughs> there, there still is Love. Uh, there still is gratitude. All of these things, we want to be front runners in passing that on. And so for me, it's just important that we take time, that I take time to do that. Because gratitude is such a part, as I said earlier, of, of radical love. And without gratitude, I think it's impossible to give or experience radical love. But there's a, a gratitude as a, as a foundation for that. Uh, Last week, we talked about radical love, where Jesus in John 13 tells his disciples that the benchmark for his followers is this agape love, and he could have used other words to describe love. He could have used the word uh, eros or uh, phila, or he could have used the word storge, but he uses the word agape, which is really unconditional love. There, There are no strings attached. What it means is this, that God loves you because he loves you. Uh, there's no if or because, it's, it's unconditional, uh, and for us to receive that kind of love uh, absolutely transforms our life. We also looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, and it says this, and it's an instruction to the church, instruction to the body of Christ. Instead, speaking the love and truth, we will grow, here's that word grow, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus, Uh, And if I could reiterate anything from last week, I would say this, that Jesus is the head of the church, say amen to that, I mean, there's no other head, the main thing is the main thing. We are the body, and uh, no matter how much we try to separate Jesus from his church, saying, and I've I've heard things like this, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, well, uh, Jesus and his imperfect church, they come together, it's a package deal. You know, as much as we want to segregate the two in our own minds, through our own experiences, and I get that, i I've experienced some of the things you've experienced. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, the Word says, this is a package deal. I am the head, and you are the body. Broken, imperfect—all of those things—that's part of the package. And Jesus uh, is the head. He's the main thing. It's not even theologically or biblically or even wise to to live separate from the church. Uh, And the reason for that is our goal and our quest is to become more like Jesus. And to become more like Jesus in his fullness, uh, we need each other. Uh, As much as sometimes we hate that, (laughs) uh, because that means I'm dependent, that means that I need to be vulnerable, uh, that means that I need to share my life with you and you have to share your life with me, because that's what it looks like. This is where it's at today. And I think over the last, I'll say this, over the last 10 or 15 years, we have um, somehow in our thinking, thinks, we think it's okay to separate the two. And we, we, I, I find people who are very comfortable with doing this. Um, and I'm going to say that that's a deception according to the word. Uh, the word doesn't even come close to saying that. Um, every time the head is mentioned, the body is mentioned. Every time the body is mentioned, the head is mentioned. I want to look like the head. I want to look like Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we do. We want to be like Jesus Christ. And it takes effort. Uh, and the effort is intentional. And, and from my experience, it's never convenient either. So uh, let, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, because I think in my life, there have been times where this God of convenience has risen up and, and actually been a priority that I'll do whatever's convenient, I'll do whatever I can do and take the path of least resistance, whether that deals with my time or my resource or relationships. That's where I'll find myself. And I really have to repent, and I repent of that today. Uh, convenience is not my God. Um, and, and to follow Jesus, it means that it's just not going to be convenient. Growing on purpose takes work, it takes effort. Uh, you have to go out of your way to see that happen in your life. You really do. Uh, you have to go out of your way uh, when you really don't want to go out of your way, when it's never easy to go out of your way. So what I want you to do today, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter uh, 2. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. The author of Colossians chapter 2 is the Apostle Paul. Um, the, the church of Colossia was planted by the church of Ephesus. Uh, Colossia is about, oh, a hundred miles west of Ephesus. And if you remember a little bit about what happened here, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. As far as we know, he never visited Colossia, but he writes to them in this in this letter. And he's writing, essentially he's writing to his daughter, his child. Uh, he planted the church, you may even say his grandchild. I know this, that uh, my, my, my grandkids... Um, they're very dear to me, and I watch closely. I take care of them. Uh, and I, I say this, and it is in jest. Part of it's in jest. said, so if I could have skipped my kids to get to you, I would have done it in a flash. You know, I would have, but that's not the way this whole thing works. It doesn't work that way. But can you imagine the love and care that the Apostle Paul has for, let's call it, his granddaughter church. He's writing them a letter, and it's about how to grow. He's saying, hey, this is what it looks like. He talks about Jesus being the head, us being the body. And he says, these are ways that you grow. And so in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says about growing on purpose and how big of a deal it really is. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8, it tells us that if we want to look like Jesus, uh, we, we must grow on purpose. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it gives us a road map on on how to grow. It gives us kind of a a, a GPS, a coordinates that says, here is how you grow in Christ Jesus, and this will make a difference. And he gives us really three different ways in this passage of Scripture. Let me read it to you, beginning at verse 6. It says, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. "...rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness." There, there it is there, that gratitude. "...see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the, element, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ Jesus." One of those elemental forces I mentioned earlier is the God of convenience. Do you follow in me there? That's what the Apostle Paul is actually referring to. He's saying the things that are easy to do because your culture does those things. That's what he's saying. Don't give in to that. Don't give in to that. You're different. You're different because of your radical love. You're different because uh, you're growing in Christ and so when the Apostle Paul, when he speaks, if you see this at the f- verse 6 where it says, um, continue to live your lives in him. I want you to remember that phrase. Some say, uh, some Bibles, some translations say walking or living with Christ. Uh, it's, 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 you know, couched in a couple different ways. Uh, bottom line is this, this phrase literally depicts, and if you can picture this in your own mind, it depicts a well-worn path. That's... That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that this path is easy to find because it's well-worn. Now, if any of you are hikers like my wife is or, or you go out in, um, in, in, in nature and, and maybe you're not familiar with the area, uh, I've done that before. What is the first thing you look for? I mean, I mean, if you have your wits about you, the first thing you look for is a well-worn path because you're thinking, well, somebody or something knows that this is the way to go. Uh, so I think I'm going to hang out here and not get off onto the less traveled areas. I'm going I'm to follow the well-worn path. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying for centuries, for millennial, you've had a well-worn path laid out for you. Stay on that path. <laughs> Don't go off that path. I mean, you're going to be tempted to, but it is a well-worn path um, that, that you have been on. And that's what he's saying. He says, I want you to stay on that. Uh, I want you to have others stay on that with you as you follow Jesus. And the, and the main ingredient for this kind of living or following a well-worn path, can you? how did it get well-worn? I guess that's the question. How did it get that way? Regularity. That's how it gets that way. It just, it's just walked on. There's no magical formula here. There's no magical formula to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, He makes it very simple for us. He says, you got a well-worn path you can follow. And the way that we know it's well-worn is it is trampled on regularly. And what he's encouraging you and me to do is to do the same. He's saying, with regularity, read your word. With regularity, be in fellowship. With regularity, do these things. Spend time with God's people. And here, whether that's in groups that we have or classes that we have or serving opportunities, recovery, worship here on the weekends that we have, the Apostle Paul is saying these are traditional things, not not in a way that's empty or vain. These are things that your forefathers and foremothers have done, and they've done them well. Stay on that path so Those that are following you can see the path as well. They're going to see your footprints. They're going to see your your regularity in following Jesus Christ. When people see your life, they should see a pathway to Jesus Christ. Mark that down. Think about that. When people look at you, when they see your life, they should find a path to Jesus Christ. Not, Not a pathway somewhere else. And somewhere else's, the somewhere else's, can be good places. We're not saying that they're bad places, but they're not the ultimate place that you're to be going. You're to be going to Jesus Christ. And, he, and he's saying, make sure that when people see you, when they, when they say your name, that one of the first things they think about is, wow, I can follow them on this well-worn path because this pathway leads to Jesus. Um, and, I, and I know Jesus will make all the difference. So the Apostle Paul in this passage of Scripture in Colossians 2, he, he gives us some ways. Uh, Paul tells us, here's how you can grow on purpose. And number one, you can write this in your in your bulletin. You have an outline there. You can write this down. Be rooted in Christ. That's the first thing he says. It's not surprising he says that. I mean, you know, be rooted in Christ. Be rooted in Christ. I mean, when there are a lot of people, especially I'm going to say in the body of Christ, that are uh, maybe looking for new revelations of sorts, uh, it's folly in a lot of ways. This is what he says. He says, be rooted in Christ. There you go. I mean, you really want your life to, to work? You really want to look like Jesus? Then begin by be, being rooted in him. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses a horticulture term here. Um, did you see that? It's, it's a term you would use, obviously. It's basic, but plant. He's talking about rooted. But it makes sense that you can only be as good as your root system. You're not going to have a bad root system with a a luscious fruit tree. It just doesn't look that way. You're not going to have a bad grapevine root system and have a lot of grapes. It doesn't work that way. It it doesn't match. There's a a discongruity there. Does that make sense? He's saying, man, if you're really wanting to produce fruit, if you really want your life to look like Jesus Christ, you begin by being rooted in Him and develop a good root system. See, Paul is telling us to grow, to grow deep for stability's sake. That's one of the, the reasons we grow deep, so that when you encounter storms, you stay upright. When you encounter hard times, when you encounter blight, uh, when times are th- thin and you're worn when you have a good deep root system what paul is saying is you'll withstand that storm that you won't topple over you you'll you'll stand strong rooted also means that you are planted on purpose you know anything that's i, I think good anything that you see in an orchard um, i uh, often go out to my friend rich rich's orchard he's got the hazelnuts and and i'm always amazed uh, rich and i have these conversations he's a lot smart a whole lot smarter than i am but I just ask him simple questions. And, and oftentimes when we're talking about a healthy tree, what do we talk about? We're talking about a root system. And uh, I've walked by and, or driven by and I said, Man, you're knocking down a lot, a lot of trees out there. What's going on? Bad root system. Yeah, just, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to replant. So there, there's a good root system. There needs to be some stability. But he's done this on purpose. This wasn't random. When you go out there, you see the rose. You see how well taken care of an orchard looks and how well taken care of this orchard looks. So, so here it is. You are planted in Christ on purpose for a purpose. There's nothing about your life that's random. It may feel random. I mean, it does. At times we feel that way. But being rooted is something that you attribute to purposeful, being purposeful, that you were planted by a, by a purposeful hand. And you are planted because there's a purpose for you. Uh, and your purpose, the Bible says, your purpose is to be like Jesus and produce fruit, which in turn influences others. That's why we use the phrase around here, making disciples that make disciples for Jesus. You see, it comes from, it comes from all places in Scripture that tell us to do that. That's our instruction. In fact, when you read the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, he says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and bad trees cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will be recognized, or they will recognize you. You see, this is, this is, this is a high benchmark just like radical love, this is our benchmark. This is, this is what uh, distinguishes us in the body of Jesus Christ. Again, this has to do with what people see in our lives and what do they see. And that's probably a good question for us to ask. I, I think that it's good for us to be introspective at times. I think we've lost the art of uh, contemplation uh, because we're in a hurry and we're always moving. I'm, I'm guilty of it. Always moving on to the next thing. And then someone will ask me, well, what happened three or four days ago? There are times I don't even remember what happened three or four days ago because I'm so enthralled with what I'm doing today. And that's, that's a pity at times. I need to be aware. I need to take a emotional inventory. I need to take spiritual inventory. And that's what this passage of Scripture makes us do. It makes us ask these questions. What is uh, our life producing? You know, and here's another one. Are my priorities planted in the soil of Christ? Is, are my priorities in life planted in that soil? Are my priorities, my personal priorities for life, um, whatever that looks like for you, following Jesus Christ? Are my family priorities planted in Christ? Now, that's, a, that's one that, Deserves another conversation down the road, I think. I'd like to maybe talk about that sometime down the road. Is What does a a family look like that has its priority in Christ? And that family uh, can be mom and dad. That family might be led by mom. That family might be just led by dad. But the principles are the same. Do you you hear me on this? Uh, That family may be led by grandma and grandpa. But the principles are the same. What do the priorities look like? In business, what do those priorities look like? Uh, do you compartmentalize? So when you're in business, you act totally different than you do in your private life and your church life. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just asking. Is it, is it two sets of rules? Uh, because really what I've seen is good, godly businessmen and women don't have two sets of rules. It's one rule, and it's to be rooted in Christ and to practice life that way. That's what I've seen in business and people who really do well in business. The Apostle Paul, in another place, in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you're also members of his household. Another way to say the body of Christ or the church. You're built on the foundation, the well-worn path. You're built on the well-worn path of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself, As the chief cornerstone, you see the same things being said, kind of in a different way. The apostle Paul says it in a lot of different ways when you read through his his epistles. So, what it says here: number one, be rooted in Christ. Number two, it says, and this is the second way to grow to grow on purpose, and that is being built up in truth. Uh, Notice that Paul uses a term, a different term now. He used a term for that you would use uh, you know, planting. Uh, a horticulturist would use this. Now he's using an architectural term. It's interesting to me. He's changed the, the metaphor a bit. He's saying now uh, this is the best way to describe it. It's architectural. It has to do with construction. Rooted in Christ, I'm growing down. I'm growing deep. Built up in truth, I'm growing up. Uh, now you can't hide the work. I mean, You know, someone builds a house around. Who's building that house? Why are they building that house? Look at that house. That's a nice house. You see it. It, it, It's distinguished. That's what Paul's saying here. God is engineering. He's engineering a work in us, and it's not always easy, but it's always productive. So he's engineering a work. He's at work right now. That I am built up in truth, and that can only happen when I ask the question, God, what is it that you want to teach me? God, what is it that you want to teach me in this circumstance, in this relationship? What is it you want to teach me? Uh, what you've done there is you've opened the door to the truth teller, God's Holy Spirit. And that's where God's Holy Spirit does, can do and does profound work. But notice it doesn't say, built up in what others think of me. Sometimes that's where we find emotional nourishment. It doesn't last very long. Kind of like the, the, the cow who died eating hay. He died of starvation because it had no nutrition in it. You know, you can consume a lot. Doesn't mean you're getting better. Doesn't mean you're healthy. And Paul, Paul's letting us know here, it's built up in truth. And it doesn't say, I'm built up in what entertains me. Built up in truth of who I am and who God is and what that relationship looks like. What does the relationship look be, like between us? A- as you're being built up, help others do the same. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. I wanted to tell you, encourage you to help others do the same. And it can be so simple. Um, how about just about a, a simple greeting? I mean, if you're here in church, let's say you lose, use Sunday morning and you, you look around and you see someone who's kind of maybe new or visiting and they don't, maybe they're unfamiliar with what goes on here or where to take kids or those kind of things, step in. It's not always someone else's job, but it's also all of our jobs. And that you say, hey, can I help you? And if I can't find out the answer, uh, I'll find someone who does. I mean, encouragement that way is huge. It's a big step to come into a foreign place. It it is. I I think one of the toughest things to do in life is to find a church. And we can help that process. I think we can help that process by greeting others. Well, invite people to paint We've built it in here. You can have a meal here. and you know, It doesn't cost you a thing. See, in the old days, you, you know, you'd, hey, you want to go to lunch? And it costs you some coin to do that. We've provided a venue, a place for you to go between services to actually eat and spend time with each other. And it doesn't cost anything. We want that to happen. Why? You can invite someone to have Uh, breakfast with you you can sit and have fellowship with people around the table there's no better place than in the spirit of hospitality disciples are made read it all through scripture where are disciples made where are followers of God where do they where do they start and where do they grow typically it's not in a classroom with a chalkboard or uh, overhead it's typically in the spirit of hospitality hey Zacchaeus come on down I want to have lunch with you wow disciple made Look at all the places that happens. Uh, what's something else we can do? Invite people to come to church. Pray with others. Say, hey, can I pray with you? Or, or go to the prayer teams with others. Walk people there. So make an investment into others. It will be lasting. It'll be lasting. Um, some of you know I'm, I'm working with the Canby Fire Department. I'm one of the board of directors, which has been a lot of fun for me. Um, I've always wanted to do something like that. And, and so I went a few weeks back to a, a conference they have to train rookies to do that. Now I, I'm one of them. I went into this conference, and I, it was really odd for me because most of the conferences that I go to are church-related, and I know half the people in the, in the place. And so I, did, I, I didn't know anyone. I walked in, and I thought, wow, I am not in Kansas anymore. You know? And this is a whole different language. And about 10 minutes after I was there, this young man comes running up to me, And he said, hey, Pastor Ron. And I looked. He's grown now. And he's been on the Clackamas County Fire Department for probably 15 or 20 years. That's the last time I saw him. And uh, he had his buddies him. He goes, hey, this was my pastor when I was growing up. And he taught me how to do a 360 on a knee board. (laughs) I thought, wow, I thought maybe I'd teach you the word or, you know, that. I mean, you know, that comes with it. I know. But what did a young boy Remember? He remembered somebody that influenced his life actually taught him how to do a 360. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's marketable stuff. <laughs> and, and he tells me this, and I thought, whoa. I said, you remember that? He goes, yeah, man, you, were, you work with me all afternoon. Get me to do a 360 on a kneeboard. You see, sometimes the things we think others value are not the things others value. And if we just get in and listen and be part of someone's life... We might discover the things they value. What is that? That's an open door for the gospel right there. That's an open door to help others. And remember, God's always at work. He's always at work in your life, and he's always at work in people's lives, even when you haven't seen them for 20 years. And that's exactly what Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that. Don't you just love that? I don't know if you heard the story about and this was, oh, several years ago, and it was actually um, uh, Billy Graham and Ruth Graham were go- going on a drive. They were actually leaving their house in North Carolina, headed to an office, and the drive normally took about five minutes, and this day there was a lot of traffic, and it looked like it was going to take 20 or 30 minutes. they were stuck in traffic. And Ruth Graham saw a road sign and she looked at her husband, Billy, and she said, that's what I want on my tombstone. That's what I want on my grave marker. And he looked up and he said, are you serious? And she said, that's what I want on it. That's what I want. You know what it said? End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Wow. Now I want that on mine. Uh, but, but if you think that she was just making that up or never, go look at her gravestone in North Carolina. It actually says this right here. Ruth Graham, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. I think that's the way we can look at our lives. And the last thing here Paul says, Paul tells me not only to be rooted in Christ, built up in truth, but to be strengthened in faith. So we have rooted, that's growing down. We have built up, that's growing up. And now... We have strengthened in. That's growing in. That's developing a robust spiritual life. How does that happen? It happens through faith. That's, that's, that's the way it's described. You cannot please God without faith. That's what it says. That I, have to, I grow in my faith. Uh, it's an inner work. Our faith is something that needs to continually be challenged Uh, to grow within. This is where muscles happen. This is where growth happens. This is where the pumping iron of the faith happens. So here's a question. How can your life be different if you grew on purpose? What would be different about your life if you actually grew on purpose? If you took about six or eight weeks and said, I'm gonna do this for six or eight weeks, and it is a growth tactic or a pathway that I'm gonna stay on for, for a little while that has to do with building my faith, spiritual growth. Now, now, please hear my heart on this. I, I really want you to hear me. I hope you do. Um, I know some of us come to church, and, you know, we've been in church for years, but we're stagnant. You're stagnant. Um, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of blame we can put out there. You know, I, I, we've heard it all. We've all said it. But actually, the responsibility for your own growth is with you. And it's directly related to how my faith grows. It's directly related to growing in Jesus. Um, I know the ways that that happens. Maybe you're not serving. Maybe you uh, don't get involved in Bible studies. What what I'm doing here really is throwing down the gauntlet right now Um, in a kind way. I'm challenging you to take the next steps. If you're stagnant, it's not anyone else's fault. That's a tough one to get over because we've got to take ownership for that. And here's what happens. I, I think so many of us have some amazing, amazing things to offer, but the only time maybe you show up in a spiritual environment or church is when you're in the 911 mode. Now, listen, you've are, you've, you, thank you for acknowledging 30 years, but in 30 years, I've seen everything you can see. And I've seen the 911 motors. I've seen them come. And then I see them go because it's no longer an emergency. It stops. It's, it's the weirdest thing. The 911ers come in, and, I, and listen, hear me on this. You need to be here if you're in a 911 mode. If you're there today, you're welcome. You, you picked the best place to come. I'm not saying it's not a bad place to come. This is really probably the best place you can come, where you hear about Christ and you hear the gospel but listen, when the, when the vice it loosens, stay with the growth, would you? Because the vice was put down on you, I can tell you in a lot of ways, mainly because it, I caused it. Some foolish decision I made or something happened and there's just fallout and so I'm the 911. Oh, emergency, emergency. God responds to that. God's people will respond to that. Stay with it after the night. You can't live in 911 mode all the time. Can you imagine that, man? Talk about blood pressure going off the charts. I mean, talk. Think about that. In Jesus, there is peace for you. In the 911 mode and out of the 911 mode, there is peace for you. But be in that. You know, you 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 got. You can't take what you need and then and then take off because it breaks my heart because you have so much that you can offer others. What about your story? What about your testimony? We miss out on your experiences and your testimony. Please don't abandon us after the 911 is over. I want to hear your story. I want to be encouraged by your life. Please be thinking about how God can use you here. What is the next step? How can he use you at work? In your family. How can you make a difference? Maybe you can go on a mission trip. Maybe you can lead a a small group or be part of a small group. Maybe you attend Canby Bible College. Maybe you become, if you're younger, part of an internship. Maybe, maybe, maybe. There's a lot of good maybes here. They'll stay maybes until you make it a reality. Maybes are only maybes. You're the one that chooses whether it becomes a reality. Listen, over the last 25 years, Canby Foursquare has planted or helped plant over 30 churches. A lot of them. We've, we've sent out uh, churches. Uh, we've sent out over probably 1,000 people to plant or to be missionaries. And not to mention you know, the dozens who have been trained here who are leading uh, substantial roles in the workplace, the work world. What if we were uh, looking and saying, what if we, want, what if we plant more churches? What's well, going to need you to be involved? What if we send out more missionaries in the next 10 years? What if, what if in the next uh, 10 years we double what we did in the past 30 years? That's being strengthened in your faith. What if we double our giving, double our CBC graduates, double our internships, double our missions, double our care for community, strengthened in the faith? That's the label that goes there. What if we loved radically our neighbors more than ourselves? That is strengthening our faith. What if you honor others in the workplace more than you honor yourself? Can I say this? The magnitude of that happening, and if that, that kind of effort would be off, off the charts, you would radically change the world one at a time, one person at a time. You know, we can't be a church who always looks to the past, uh, to my generation, um, I need to say this to my generation. Um, I'm a young boomer. Your days aren't over. I, I, so I've, I've, I think I've hit and maybe stepped on everyone's toes today. And if I've offended you, just let me know. I apologize, you know. Not really, but I, I'll say I do. Um, because I think these are the right things to say. And I want to say this to my generation, the boomer generation. My boomer brothers and sisters, many of you have you've bowed out. You've, you've, you've bowed out, and it, it's astounding. You bowed out, and you say, well, I've done my time. I've raised my kids, brought them up in church. Now, hasta la vista. I want you to think about how your adult kids might even see that. Because your kids are never done watching you. I'm just letting you know that right now. It's not just when they're young. It's when they're old. They're, they're paying attention. They're watching you. They're taking their cues from you. Don't don't to say I, I, I've done my time. I've heard that. Oh it's like a prison sentence. Was that it was that was it that bad? I have I have one phrase to say to you. Stop it. Stop it. Man, you're driving me crazy. Yeah, there's times you want to. I'm a boomer. I grew up in the same culture you grew up in. Stop thinking your days of usefulness are over because the church needs you. Another generation needs you. See, death comes when our memories of the past supersede our vision for the future, and that is personal as well. To my boomer friends, without your presence in leadership, here's what we're doing. We're sending our children and our grandchildren into the future to fend for themselves. it scares me sometimes if you're a boomer and you're hearing this message whether it's right here or online rejoin the ranks it is the body of Christ It's the church and what you will need to know what I want to say to you is you are valued and for those boomers that just keep hanging in you're so deeply admired and watched I watch you because you're my older brothers and sisters. Remember, I'm the younger part of the boomers. You're not only valued, but you are needed. Paul says in Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he says, The faith and the love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way, in the same way, pass this on, The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world because you were strengthened within, faithful, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Listen, Jesus will always be the center of this church. He will always be the center of the church. We have been given the task to propagate the message. And I'm going to finish with this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, God's word. It says, this is why we do it. God's word is useful to us. All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. What is it? To teach. The word there is didact or didactics. It means to teach the word, be strategic in teaching the word. Leading people from a novice to a faithful follower. That's what the, the whole idea. The word rebuke, we don't hear it that much because we don't like to be rebuked. Uh, you rebuke people, they unfriend you. So uh, it's really a really thin line. It didn't used to be that thin. You rebuke me, boop you're not my friend anymore. When in fact, that could be one of the best things that happens to us. You know the word rebuke, you know what it means? It means to reset something. Something that was in place and now out of place. It has the imagery of a bone broken. That the bone gets broken and it's put back in line. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Now if you break a bone, you want somebody to line your bones back up. Or you hobble the rest of your life. That's what that word means. It's a good word. And then it's for training. The word there is the word and Paul uses is, is gymnasium. Do you know what that, you know what that is? It's gymnasium. He said, man, commit yourself like an athlete to go through the disciplines. Now, here, here listen to this. For maximum growth, for, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna distill this, make this real, it, I, I have to have it this way. For maximum growth, what do I need? What do you need for maximum growth? Because we can get caught up in a lot of other stuff and think we're really growing, but there, there's, a, there's something that has to do with maximum growth here. So maximum growth so if you want to learn to drive a car, what do you need? A car. Can't learn to drive a car without a car. I mean, I said pretty simple, isn't it? If, I gotta, if I'm going to drive, I'm going to learn how to drive a car. When I was 12 years old, my grandpa took me out on a parking lot uh, in his big old 66 Cadillac, and he gave me the keys to his car. He sat in the passenger seat. I sat in the driver's seat. Woo-hoo-hoo. You know, I'm driving a Cadillac. And how did I learn to drive? I had a car, and I had a good teacher. Uh, by the way, my daughter, my granddaughter, just she's twelve, and so um, go ahead and show that up there. So, so she turned twelve, and I have a Cadillac. Now, if you're going, whoa, he has a Cadillac? It's a '91. All right. <laughs> Used to have moss on the hood and mice in the trunk. So don't get that excited, you know. Um, so, so we took my Cadillac. At 12 years old, uh, we borrowed your church parking lot. No one was here. And um, how else do you learn to drive? You have to have a car. Uh, how do you learn how to swim? What's the main ingredient in swimming? Water. you got to have some water to learn. I mean, they can tell you all they want. They can say, hold your breath and do this. I mean, until you get thrown in the water. Someone asked me, my grandkids say, Papa, when did you learn how to to swim, I said, I don't remember. I grew up around water because I grew up down in California in the ocean. I said I was probably three or four. So I don't remember when I learned how to swim. But I know there was a main ingredient there, and it was water. I know that because that's how you learn how to swim. If you want to learn to grow spiritually, what do you need? You need the body of Christ. It's what it says here if you want to really get your maximum growth. Now, you can grow in other ways. I mean, that's, it can happen. But for the maximum growth, uh, it, you know, I'm gonna break the news. It, it's the person next to you and, and behind you and around you. It's, it's the body of Christ. I need a car to drive. I need water to swim. I need the body of Christ to grow spiritually. It, it's a very simple formula. Let's don't miss out on it. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Would you bow your head? Lord, we want to thank you today for your amazing grace in our life and that you have just touched us so many ways. That Thank you for this Thanksgiving and uh, the blessing that you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444. And anytime through canbefoursquare.com.